Welcome to Canada's podcast. Hi, this is Celine Williams hosting from Ontario for Canada's podcast. My guest today is Nadia Ladak, the founder of Marlowe, a new menstrual wellness brand that has launched the first ever lubricated tampon. Welcome, Nadia. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. I'm excited to talk to you about this. I think it's a... I'm excited to talk to you to hear a little bit about your journey, which is where we'll start, but also to hear a little bit about Marlowe, because I think that we were talking a little bit a little bit before we started hit record, and the idea of a lubricated tampon is fascinating, and I'm sure a lot of people are going, a lubricated tampon? Okay, <laughs> so we're going to get into some of that as well. Um, but to start with, tell us, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and your journey to getting to where you are now, to founding Marlowe and, and how you did this all. Definitely. So I actually started my university career in music, quite a non-traditional path in comparison to most people. I was studying voice performance at the University of Western. And from there, I applied to the Ivy Business School. It's a two plus two program. So you spend your first two years doing one program and your second two years in an accelerated business program. So from there, I was able to transition into the business program and learned a lot I spent my first year after graduating in management consulting, but really had this interest in entrepreneurship because I thought it would allow me to combine some of the creativity and passion that you learn in music and the arts with some of the business and financial management skills you learn in business. And so in our last year of school, my friends and I had come up with an idea to launch Marlowe for one of our school projects. It was an entrepreneurship capstone project. And I remember sitting down with them and having a conversation about the menstrual health space. It was something that affects 50% of the population, yet it's not talked about at all. It's rather stigmatized. And I remember during that conversation that one of my co-founders shared that she has a lot of pain when inserting a tampon. And she's a very active individual, so she loves to play sports and go swimming. And she felt that not being able to use a tampon really limited her in her daily active lifestyle. And she would take time off training whenever she had her period. And so she had gone to the gynecologist to try to find a solution. And the gynecologist said the best thing would be to spit on the tampon to make it easier to insert. And I remember just being blown away by that advice and thinking there must be some better way than just spinning on it. Um, and that's what kind of sent us into a deep dive of the space and discovering that there was a need for a lubricated tampon. I think, okay, first of all, can we just acknowledge how insane it is that in this day <laughs> and age, the advice is to spit on a tampon? I mean, wholly disconnect with what the real world is all about. I just can't even. Definitely. So I'm just going to acknowledge that because I'm sure anyone who's watching this saw my massive eye roll. <laughs> <That. laughs> um, but, you know, I think that I think it's I want to acknowledge something else, and that is that it's so fascinating how anytime we're talking about women's health in any way, there's so much stigma attached to it. Mm -hmm. um, and this is one of those spaces that is additionally stigmatized for a lot of women and a lot of men who just don't talk about this. And we've, you know, how long has it been since the actual product space has really been disrupted? I Like menstrual cups is probably the last thing that was disruptive in the space. And how long had it been before that? 
Yeah, tampons were invented about 90 years ago. The biggest switch that we've had is going from cardboard to plastic applicators and then no applicators. Like that's kind of the only innovation that's happening. Now we're starting to see a, a bit more innovation in terms of reusable applicators, what we're doing at Marlowe, menstrual cups. But before that, it was no innovation in the last 90 years, which is just shocking since it's a space that impacts so many people. And it just seems that everyone is on autopilot when it comes to this space. For sure. I remember the first time I think I was I was in um I was in the States somewhere and there in a women's washroom they had um biodegradable, entirely biodegradable, environmentally friendly tampons that weren't like, mm-hmm. you know, mo- the most of the stuff that we have now, which no offense to plastic applicators, not so great for the environment, not so great from mm-hmm. a you know resource perspective. And that seemed like it was mind blowing. So to have mm-hmm. something that to you know, like a lubricated tampon is even next level. So I'm I can only imagine the process to get a product like this, because it's considered a healthcare product in some way, correct? Like a Yeah, that's correct. It's considered a class two medical device, which sounds rather fancy, but it's in the same class as rubber gloves or condoms. So similar to those other products, which meant we had to test our product, make sure it was safe to use, go through Health Canada and FDA regulatory approvals. Um, We partnered with both the research lab and a regulatory consultant. So they were really helpful in guiding us along through that process as well. So I'm curious. So Anytime we have someone on, anytime that I'm speaking to someone who has a product that has had to go through an approval process, I'm always curious what you learned that you would do again and you would tell someone, absolutely do this, like working with a a regulatory consultant might be one of the things, and what you learned that really didn't work that you're like, avoid this at all costs if you're trying to do something similar. Yeah, spot on with the regulatory consultant. I remember we tried to look through some of the policies ourselves. We were spending hours reading Health Canada's website and it's full of jargon. And if you're not in the space, it's just so complicated to understand. And so once we partnered with the regulatory consultant and they could actually break down everything that we needed to do, it really accelerated our pace. Um, And I think as a startup, one of our biggest advantages is speed and working quickly. And so if we can partner with someone to accelerate that and, you know, figure out what our strengths and weaknesses are, then it's better to do that. So I think if we had partnered with that regulatory consultant even sooner, maybe we would have accelerated our pace even faster. Um, So that was one thing. And then I think the other thing would be around just making sure that things don't always go according to plan. We were facing additional challenges in the fact that we were trying to go through this approval during COVID when both regulatory bodies were quite tied up understandably with COVID and vaccine rollouts and all these different things. Um, But things that were supposed to take a couple of weeks to complete were taking months to complete. So I think just knowing that when things are out of your control, always have that buffer timeline, always add contingency beyond what you might even imagine um, and just paying attention to that external environment to see how that might impact your business as well. Mm-hmm. I think that's, I think that's really important. Um, and it's easy to overlook that in the moment. Definitely. So I, in a, I'm not a hundred percent sure of your journey, so this might be worded somewhat awkwardly, bear with me. Um, in working with someone and bringing on like a regulatory consultant, was that something that you had funding that covered that cost? Was that something that you created a partnership with them longer term? And I ask this because anyone who is 
thinking of starting a business or in early stages, they're often hesitant to either spend the money or mm -hmm. say, here's, you know, here's how you can have equity in the business in this way if it's something that someone might be interested in. And I think it's important that organizations, companies who've done that share their experience because there's so much, I mean, how long did you hesitate to, to bring someone on or, or spend the money or make that partnership? I think it's really common. Yeah, we were definitely hesitant at first. Luckily, we had received some funding from different pitch competitions that we had done and different grants. And then we actually did raise a $500,000 pre-seed round through Angels. So part of the cost of that went to funding the regulatory consultant and all of our regulatory approvals. So we were really lucky to have supportive angel investors who wanted to help us achieve that milestone. And that was kind of one of the major milestones from that pre-seed round. Oh, I'm. have you done any funding since then or is that the... the funding that you've done thus far? That's the funding we've done thus far, and we're about to kickstart our seed round. So we're very excited about that as well. Amazing. So what were some of the lessons you learned from the, the angel round that you did? What, you know, in retrospect and in kind of reflecting, what, what did, what, what would you take away from that? I think one of the things we got really good at is learning how to tell our story and explain our problem for someone who maybe doesn't experience the problem themselves. And that's especially important for any industry where it's maybe a bit complex or maybe not everyone would be familiar with it. We were pitching to a bunch of investors who don't actually menstruate themselves. And so they would go back to other people in their lives and try and speak with them, say, hey, is this a problem you experience? Like, what can I learn about this? And so we got really good at adding analogies, adding testimonials, adding data. We had found a stat that one in two girls will drop out of sports because they don't have products that work for them around puberty related to menstruation. We also did our own survey and learned that 86% of menstruators have experienced some kind of insertion pain or discomfort in the past. So being able to bring in some of those stats for someone who maybe doesn't even know this, this that this is a problem, but can now see this and can have comparisons, that really helped to tell the story and show it's not just us saying this, there's a bunch of people who also experience this problem as well. I think that's incredibly important to emphasize is especially, and let's call this for out for what it is for a second, if you are pitching a product for women when still most investors are men, there mm -hmm. are real barriers to understanding the experience that you're that women are sharing or products designed for women are sharing. So mm -hmm. I think what you're saying is really important uh, because so many of so many companies that are being started now are being started by women for women. And yet still the investors are men. Exactly. And it's funny because so many times through our pitches and even now we get questions saying, isn't this a niche space? Isn't women's health a niche space? And we think, uh, no, you know, women or other menstruators get their period for one week every month for 39 years of their life. So it's anything but niche. It's a $50 billion industry. And it's just kind of funny the kinds of questions we got throughout our pitching process. I <laughs> uh, the joy of the niche space question when it's just the any other gender just another yeah. gender period it's it's niche exactly. in some way it's fascinating um <laughs> so i i am curious and i want to talk about the you know for people who are still like lubricated tampons what is the what is the beside is i mean maybe there there i'm assuming there's other benefits besides easier insertion there's other 
reasons that people might want to use these. So tell me a little, can you tell me a little bit about, about that, about what some of the, the story is and what some of the, the benefit is and, and what you see the opportunity for Marlowe is? For sure. Yeah, there was a bunch of different use cases that we had identified. One was for menstruators who are very new to using tampons. They maybe have a bit of anxiety. Their muscles will tense up when they're trying to insert a product for the first time. So for them, this really helps to make it smoother and easier and more comfortable. Um, There's some people who have medical conditions. So conditions like vaginismus or a, a bunch of other ones. We partnered with some gynecologists and pelvic physiotherapists who kind of walked us through some of the patients that they see that this might be helpful for. Um, We also um, talked to them and learned that a lot of menstruators experience vaginal dryness, especially post-pregnancy. And if you have a lighter flow or you're on birth control and some of these um, conditions can cause vaginal dryness as as well, Um, even if it's maybe just the first day of your period or the last, it can make insertion really, really uncomfortable. And if you can't use a tampon and you can't, you know, go play sports or go swimming, especially in the summer, uh, we wanted to find an opportunity for these people to still live their lives and not feel held back while on their period and not feel that they can't do the things that they love because they have something that's limiting them from using products that work for them. I love that. And thank you for sharing all that. That's why I was like, I guarantee there's more, it's more specific than just easier insertion. Um, Mm -hmm. And I, and it is, it is a, it's a big market. And I'm curious what the response has been thus far, because I know you're doing direct to consumer right now. We talked about this. So online sales, Uh, (laughs) (laughs) e-commerce, I forgot the word for a second. Um, what has been the response so far and how have you been, have you been getting the word out there? The response has been so overwhelmingly positive, which we're so happy about. Um, the biggest channel for us, which is interesting is TikTok actually. So we have a really big Gen Z kind of consumer and and audience. And we've been going viral on TikTok. I think this is a platform where everyone just speaks their mind. It's kind of a shocking product. And so it does really well on that platform. And we partner with different TikTok influencers or Instagram influencers who will share the review of the product. And then, you know, we'll duet them or, or kind of share our own experience. So I think that has been a huge way to get the product out. We've had a bunch of press coverage on our brand as well. Again, it's the first ever lubricated tampon. So it's really exciting for press to share our story. We're a a young women founded team. So that's also really exciting as well. And then we also have been really focused on building a community. So we know that this is not just a product. We really want to provide education and we want to be at the forefront of the movement around menstrual health. And so we provide education. We open up the conversation. We have a campus ambassador program where we've done a bunch of workshops and panels with universities across Canada and the U.S. And so I think having that community driven approach to everything that we're doing has been really helpful to get the word out there and show that you're contributing to the overall movement. You're not just buying a product. I am going to ask about TikTok specifically. <laughs> Definitely. Because, and I'll, and I'll fully own why, that is not an avenue that we hear a lot of yet, right? There's, there's, if you're on TikTok, which is hilariously addictive if you are on TikTok, if you are ever <laughs> on that platform, um, you can see that there are brands and there are services that do incredibly well. And yet, there's a lot of language in the marketing world about it, you know, not being, you can't really sell off TikTok, which is not, I want to acknowledge, I know that's not true, but there, that's still, it's very pervasive in the marketing world. So I'm curious how, 
was it a happy happenstance that you discovered that this could go viral on TikTok? Was it an, a strategy that you were using? How did that come about as such a source of, of um, influence marketing, product awareness, whatever you want to call it? Yeah, we were speaking to our customers in our community and seeing where they currently discover products. And a lot of that Gen Z audience kept bringing up TikTok. A lot of our co-founding team, we are definitely addicted to TikTok too, scrolling through all the time. And so kind of based on some of our own experience of other brands we've seen or um, other products we usually see, we decided to start our own TikTok. And we do a combination of product reviews or product videos, informational videos, educational videos. Um, and so I think having a combination of all the different types of content has really allowed the brand to go viral on TikTok. And people see us almost as the go-to page to learn about menstrual and sexual health. And so that's been really exciting um, just to see the growth and, and how quickly you can reach so many people on the platform. I think one of our top performing videos got over 8 million views. Um, and to date, we've achieved probably over 35 million views. So the kind of reach you can get on the platform is just insane and it's all organic. So that's just been wild to us too. Now we can start to do some paid content as well if we wanted to and boost some of those videos. But to date, it's primarily been organic, which is very cost effective for us as well. That's incredible. How much time are, do you put into creating TikTok videos or Instagram, like whatever the because that's, I think, the other thing we hear is that people are like, it takes, I have to spend so much time and I have to put out like eight TikToks a day to get or whatever the <laughs> thing is. And that yeah. may be true for some and not true for others. So I'm curious, what does that look like for you? Yeah, you definitely have to be consistent. I think we try and post four videos a day um, and some videos can take a long time, whereas some can be just kind of quick, snappy videos. It's all about just being consistent and posting as many as you can. Uh, one of our co-founders was kind of doing a lot of this for us, but now we actually just onboarded a full-time content creator that we're hoping can kind of drive this channel forward since it's been our top performing channel. So we'll see over the coming months how that full-time content creator works out. And I think if it's kind of been going how it is to date, we're hoping that this will drive even more engagement and traffic to the site as well. That's fantastic. Um, I think that, thank you for sharing that. Cause it's, it's, like I said, there's just a lot of misinformation. It's a newer platform. People are intimidated by it or mm -hmm. unsure what to do with it. A lot of the times, I mean, still same with Instagram to some extent, but it's a little bit more familiar at this point. Um, mm -hmm. I'm curious what the future holds for you, Nadia, and also for Marlo. Yeah, I think for Marlo, um, we have some other products that we're looking to launch. So I'll keep them kind of a secret for now, but we have some other ones we've been doing testing on and that we're really excited to bring to market in the future. We have some geographic expansions. Um, our whole team has global ambitions. So we really want to bring Marlo to the UK as our next launch and some other places as well. Um, some retail partnerships that we're excited about launching and then just continuing to build our community and, and get the word out there as much as possible. Um, and then I think on my end, something that I've always been passionate about, in addition to the menstrual health space, is just entrepreneurship in general. I really believe in giving back to the community. And so if there's ways that I can continue to support the broader entrepreneurship ecosystem, um, I'm part of an organization um, called Startup Canada, and we have something called the Startup Women Advocacy Network. And so continuing to advise on entrepreneurship policy, working with the government, and continuing to increase support, especially for women entrepreneurs, is something that I'm super passionate about. And I want to be able to do that and give back to others since we've benefited from so many people's advice and mentorship to get to where we are today. Absolutely. Um, given you are quite young and your sounds like your whole team is quite young. Um, what do you think that 
what how do you think that has worked to your benefit to date and what do you think has been challenging about that I think one thing is our appetite for risk. Um, we don't have a mortgage. We don't have kids or anything that we have to really worry about in terms of financially. So we have the opportunity to take big risks and to invest some of our savings that we have to see what can happen. And um, we're new, so we have a lot of ideas and we're, we're really energetic and excited about a lot of things that are happening. So that's definitely helpful. We also are our target audience. So the people that we're selling to, we are building a brand that we've always wanted to see in the market. And it's influenced by a lot of customer research and talking to our community, but it is also based on some of our personal experiences and the brand that we want to see as well. So I think both of those things have really helped us in in building it to where we are today. And have there been any challenges that you faced because you are younger? Yeah, I think one thing would be maybe around the fundraising side. This is our first time building a startup. And so sometimes certain funders want to see that you've launched one in the past or that you've raised funds in the past. Um, I had a not-for-profit background where I really focused on fundraising and some of the volunteer and and board positions that I had done. Um, And so that, I think, helped to have a foundation of how to do fundraising and what kinds of things people would look for. We also completed two accelerators. One was called the Next 36 Accelerator and one was League of Innovators. So that also helped us to kind of have more credibility in the entrepreneurship world and get connected to different investors and mentors that could support us through that fundraising journey. Well, it sounds like networking and relationships has been really important to get Mm -hmm. you to where you are personally or professionally, like in, you know, whether it's Marlo or you, Nadia, as an individual. Um, Mm -hmm. Do you have any advice for people around networking and building relationships? I think the biggest thing is just never being afraid to ask. There's been so many times where we'll build a web and say, okay, we want to get our product in this store. Is there anyone who we know that could be maybe adjacent to that store? Maybe it's my uncle's brother's neighbor who maybe has some connection to that store. And so we just get really scrappy and resourceful about finding a way to do things. Um, I remember one time we weren't able to get a call back from Health Canada and we spent so much time calling every single person on the database until we were able to get a call back. Um, And so finding ways to build those authentic relationships and being resourceful, not only asking for things, but also providing value. There's a lot of times where I'll say, oh, hey, I I think this might be helpful for you. Saw this panel and I know you're working on international expansion. This panel might be helpful for you to attend or, oh, hey, saw this blog post about income stability. Maybe this could be helpful for you. And so I think finding ways to keep engaging with that relationship and taking notes. We have a really big Excel with all of the different stakeholders that we've engaged with. And we say the last time we contacted them, who's responsible for keeping up contact and just sharing any resources and things that we can with them. So we really try and keep that community engaged throughout the entire time um, that we're, we're speaking and building Marlowe. How many found, how many co-founders are there? There's four of us in total. Got it. I just wasn't sure. I was like, it's clearly more than two, but let's just <laughs> let that ask that. So I'm going to ask this question. How have you divided up and figured out who is doing what with four co-founders? Because that it can be hard with two partners, let alone four. I think it's nice that we all had our own strengths and weaknesses naturally. So one of our co-founders came from more of a marketing and creative direction background. She worked for a magazine and did a lot of photography and graphic design. So she naturally took to more of the social media marketing aspects of Marlowe. And she's been really driving that forward and building our brand. Um, I had more of that not-for-profit background, also management consulting. So I had more of the strategy and the fundraising side. 
One of our other founders worked in financial asset management and then also worked in consulting as well, specifically operations consulting. So she took more of the manufacturing, the regulatory, some of our financial projections and building that out. And then our other founder, um, she worked in community building. She worked with over 370 small businesses through one of the business, business improvement alliance networks. And so she was able to really build our community, shape some of our mentorship, advisory services, um, and connecting with different individuals. And that's been really helpful to have all those connections and building Marlowe as well. So did you find that there was ever, there were ever moments where there wasn't clarity in who was going to do what, or has it always been very easy to say, you're doing this, I'm doing this, you're doing this, whatever the case may be? I think we always reevaluate as the business grows and as the priorities shift, we try and be really mindful of saying, okay, who's going to be responsible for this? This is maybe not something we considered in the past, but now it's going to be more of a priority. For example, when we launched customer service and all the DMs, emails we were getting, we're like, okay, which role will this fit in best? And so it's about continuing to evaluate. And I think early on, we had a lot of conversations about what does success look like? What is our equity ownership going to look like? How, what is our life plan for the next couple of years? If we have one that are and key milestones that we should be aware of. So I think having a lot of those early conversations at a, as a foundation really helped us to ensure that we continuously stay aligned. And we have weekly reflections at the end of the week on Fridays, where we review all of our metrics for the week, as well as just personal team reflections and how we think our culture has been. And so I think that's been really helpful to just be a checkpoint and to keep ourselves accountable to seeing, are we all meaningfully contributing? to the business? How can we celebrate each other's wins? And what are some learnings going into the next week as well? I think that is, uh, I think that's great advice for anyone listening is to, in general, not only with partners and founders to do something like that, some version of like that, some version of that, but definitely when you have multiple partners and you're not just a solo founder, um, mm -hmm. having that kind of co connectivity makes a big difference. For sure. Um, so I'm going to ask the question before we wrap up, and that is that, is there anything that we didn't get to that you wanted to talk about today or something that you want to emphasize before we close this up? I think one thing would just be the amount of excitement that's happening in menstrual health and women's health in general. There's an area called femtech, which is essentially any technology that's helping around women's health and people who identify as women. And so I think just paying attention to some of the excitement that's happening in the space, it's its not a niche space. There's a lot of stuff happening. Um, there's an organization called Femtech Canada. They're highlighting a lot of stuff that's happening in this space. And so just paying attention, joining our community as well, where you can learn more about your body and just going through that own personal learning journey to get off autopilot, because it is such an important part of our health and it impacts so many aspects of our lives. So not being afraid to question the products you've used in the past, to question how you receive your menstrual and sexual health education and now trying to go through your own personal learning journey to maybe correct some of the the things you've learned in the past i love that i think that's i appreciate you sharing that um where can people find you and also marlo online to find marlo our website is wearemarlo.com um, our Instagram is at Marlowe and our TikTok is at We Are Marlowe. So definitely connect with us there. Um, you can connect with me as well on LinkedIn or Instagram as well, or any of our co-founding team. We're always looking for feedback from our community, both on the product side, if you end up trying it, or also on the education side. A lot of our blogs that we have are all driven by our community and requests that they've had. So things like, does cranberry juice help with UTIs or can you talk about this condition? So definitely submit any questions you have and we'll pass it on to have it written on our, on our blog as well. Perfect. And all those links will be in the show notes. 
um, for anyone who is looking at the show notes to click on. Um, thank you very much for being a guest today, Nadia. I think this is a really, it's a super interesting space and I appreciate opening up a conversation about something that we so often don't really like talking about, unfortunately. Definitely. And thank you so much for having me as well. Yeah, absolutely. My pleasure. And for everyone listening, thank you for listening to Can's podcast. Like, comment, and subscribe to all our channels to get the latest podcasts from entrepreneurs across Canada.